Kyle Charter sitting in for Jared for the rest of this week. He will be back on Monday. Sort of a big week around here to be sitting into the uh, captain's chair. Uh, no lack for news, including today. Purdue gets its new football coach, Ryan Walters, over from Illinois, where he was the defensive coordinator for the last couple of seasons, was at Missouri before that, and enjoyed a successful stint. Former player at Colorado. So let's bring in uh, Sam King. From the Journal and Courier, he covers Purdue Athletics. He joins us on the Blue Fox Heating and Cooling Hotline. Uh, Hey, Sam, busy day, busy week, to say the least. Uh, The Boilermakers have their coach in Ryan Walters. Uh, What's your initial thought on that? Well, uh, I mean, clearly I think Mike Bobinski was going to get his guy, but also doing so mindful that National Signing Day is coming up. So, um, this is a hot name. I think he was uh, one of the finalists at Colorado, um, even though I think it may end up being a disaster. Colorado, uh, <laughs> a different route. Um, you know, maybe it's good for them, maybe not. Uh, it still worked out, it seems like, for uh, Coach Walters, who lands a head coaching job here. Um, he was a hot name. Um, you know, the, the thing about him is he's been at a lot of different programs, and you take probably something away from all of those from time at Colorado, Arizona. Um, you mentioned Missouri, obviously was at Illinois and did a, a fantastic job last year. Uh, so, you know, he was going to get an opportunity somewhere. And um, I think that Mike Lubinsky, based on, you know, the hire of Jeff Brom, has at least earned uh, the right to be trusted by the Purdue fan base that uh, he's making a good decision here with this hire. Yeah, a hot name, uh, even at the age of 36, uh, he's the fourth youngest now head coach in the country, how much do you you care about uh, what his age is, or is that just an intriguing fact about him? Uh, well, it's interesting. Um, obviously, Purdue has, has hired a little bit older head coaches in the past, but they've also hired offensive-minded head coaches in the yeah. past. So this, this kind of bucks two trends in that regard. Um, you know, I, I think it probably uh, he's he's known as a pretty good recruiter. That may help in terms of relating to teenagers when you're you're in their home um trying to convince them that west lafayette is a place that they should come for four years or until the transfer portal calls their name um as the way the world works now (laughs) um so uh you know i I don't know if it's good or bad time will tell on all of these things um the one thing i did like about him is uh he has a relationship with eric Bieniemy that i I found uh reading an article from uh kansas city uh, Eric Bieniemy used to babysit him, and now is kind of a mentor to him. So, you know, that's a good source to lean on. Even though Eric Bieniemy is an offensive-minded guy, he's a guy that's played the NFL uh, at a very high level in the NFL, coached at a very high level in the NFL, and probably if he has questions about things, can always kind of reach out to him as a, as a resource. So, that's something that uh, you know benefits Purdue. There's probably a lot of things that benefit Purdue, which is why he's now uh, no longer the defensive coordinator at Illinois. Yeah, the Kansas City Chiefs offense seems like it would be a, a decent fit uh, in, in West Lafayette at Purdue. How big a hire is this going to be? And I mean, it's early uh, to, to ask you names. Obviously, this is this is just a couple of hours old. But Purdue certainly needs to find, I would think, um, an offensive coordinator that fits what it has traditionally done. And maybe somebody with a little bit uh, more lengthy track record than what Walters has as well. What other characteristics do you think in, are important for that position? Yeah, uh, during Michael Binsky's press conference last week, um, 
somebody had asked him about the importance of, you know, keeping the Purdue brand, which is aerial attack. You know, people know about quarterbacks slinging the ball all over the place, and you don't want to stray away from that. And I think that, um, you know, with what they have, um, you know, probably looking at Brady Allen uh, in the future, and then obviously uh, there's a there's a three-star prospect named Ryan Brown, I believe, from New York, who uh, has maintained on Twitter, at least, that he stays committed to the Boilermakers um, despite the coaching change, while several others are deciding to flip their commitments, um, which is not surprising. That happens when there's a coaching change. Um, you want to find an offense that fits those guys. Uh, so you're going to probably look for coordinators that are, um, you know, that can air it out. Uh, Purdue's traditionally done that. Uh, but you also have to be mindful that you have Devin Mockaby coming back, who, uh, had he not got his first start in week five this year, would have clearly just blown away freshman record there was for a running back. So, um, you know, it, it is important, but uh, I think that you're going to see something different. Probably, you know, I thought it was strange yesterday to see uh, Coach Hagan decide to go to Louisville like so suddenly, and, and now it kind of makes sense because I imagine that, uh, you know, Ryan Walters is going to come in here and run the defense. And yeah. so Mark Hagan knows, okay, well, uh, that's kind of, you know, that's my calling, so maybe I'll go to Louisville and, and continue to do that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's too early to, to talk about names. We'll probably delve into that tomorrow when uh, Coach Walters has his initial welcoming press conference. So I am intrigued by what kind of a staff he brings in here. Clearly it's some uh, people who are going to have to get to work rather quickly to salvage the, I think, 15 remaining people that had verbally committed to Purdue while also – jumping in the portal and trying to grab those guys and maybe grabbing guys that they were recruiting to the programs they were at before um, and flipping their commitments to Purdue. Talking to Sam King, who covers Purdue and literally every other sport uh, going on around our area for the Journal and Courier these days, a busy guy to say the least. Uh, Sam, it's always struck me that you have to have an offense and a defense that that work together a little bit, even though in football you're not playing at the same time. There was the one season you know, with Bob Diaco as the defensive coordinator with Jeff Brom as the play caller. It just didn't make any sense uh, at Purdue, and I think Brom recognized that pretty quickly and made a change. Can Purdue still do what it does offensively, zing the ball down the field, try to score a bunch of points, while also having a defensive-minded coach? I don't think Walters is going to be able to come to Purdue and have the Boilermakers give up 12 points per game as he did at Illinois because some of that is the style in which you play offense, right? I mean, the Illini are more conservative. They're running the football, a short passing game, taking shots when they can, but trying to control the clock a little bit. It doesn't seem to me like Purdue can can do that. Those things have got to find a way to coexist here at Purdue. Yeah, and... Um... You might never get back to this, but I thought, and, and I'm sure a lot of people agree, Joe Tiller and Brock Stack were basically uh, on the same brain sometimes, yeah. and yeah. it was successful for a long time. And you're going to have to find somebody that um, kind of is in that same realm where it's like, you know, we need to do this right now offensively um, because defensively this is what we're trying to do, so forth and so on. And maybe having a head coach who's a defensive guy um, that's a foreign concept here, so we don't know how this is going to all play out. But um, I, I don't think Purdue's going to, like you said, set the world on fire defensively next year. It's going to be a process. But 
Um, I would expect improvements on that side of the ball. Uh, the team was, was good at times this year. Other times, um, you know, the, the Iowa game sticks out where just a, an atrocious offense had a lot of success um, moving the ball up and down the field. So um, you're going to have to find consistency there, and, and part of that is just having guys that are um, healthy but also maybe some depth, which is um, an area that, that Purdue's lacked uh, in recent years. And, um, you know, it's going to be a lot to replace, clearly. Yeah. And a guy like Corey Trice uh, is monumental for this program um, because he, he did a lot of things. He took away uh, top receivers and, and forced turnovers and things like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know how it's all going to play out. Tomorrow we're going to find out a lot more about this. Honestly, um, this was, uh, you know, although he was a hot name, it was probably not the name that I would have expected. Um, and props to the athletic department at Purdue because this was locked down. You know, it wasn't broken by. Uh, the people at ESPN or anybody like that. And the first we heard of it was a text message that seems like it came to five or six people this morning. So it it was kept under wraps. And then all of a sudden you've got a coach flying in and and landing in West Lafayette ready for a a press conference tomorrow. What, uh, what have you seen from fan uh, reaction? I I haven't visited the message board though. My Twitter has been active here. Uh, this afternoon. It's always a difficult thing, I think, to judge uh, based off of social media uh, a little bit because I don't think that's necessarily uh, 100% reflective of the entire fan base. What do you think the fan base thinks of this hire? Well, yeah, when you see things on social media, you're getting a a small percentage or a small sample size, and that doesn't necessarily reflect everything. And depending how you you want to think, you can find anything that supports (laughs) what you believe. So, um, you know, there's, there's people that are not happy with this because it's not a, a, a big name, per se. Um, you know, a lot of people were on this Shane Beamer bandwagon yesterday. I didn't, I just thought that was a weird name to, to kind of slip in there and never really thought that was a, a possibility. Maybe it was, but um, I didn't think that was going to be the hire for Purdue. Um, there's going to be people that love this, uh, people that are saying, great, we're back to the Hazel era, which, God, I hope not. Um, <laughs> I don't think that that's going to be the case. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just think that uh, Bobinski's earned the right to, to kind of be trusted, at least until it doesn't work. And yeah. um, that to be more what I'm seeing is like, hey, you know, a lot of people weren't on board with Jeff Brown when he came in here. But, um, and, you know, there are still some people that say, good riddance, we're glad he's gone. But uh, what he did in, in six years is absolutely magical uh, at Purdue. It's probably the, the feeling realistically for what you can do at Purdue is, is win nine games in a year or get to the Big Ten championship game and, and play in a, a bowl game on January 2nd. So um, the timing was probably right for him to leave, and the timing is probably right for uh, you know a, a new era of Purdue football and maybe a, a different style of play than what we've seen recently. Sam, here for the next three weeks, there's going to be a, a weird division uh, with two different tracks, right, to, to use a, a train cliche perhaps here. One is, is Ryan Walters becoming the, the football coach. The other one is that Purdue is playing a football game where its interim head coach seems like he will not be here next year and likely will join his brother at Louisville. And the defensive play caller and coordinator, it's been reported, will be at Louisville next year. How do those two things work together or do they here over the next three weeks as Purdue does 
try to put together uh, a game plan to uh, beat a, a really good SEC team down in the Citrus Bowl on January 2nd. Yeah, uh, I imagine that Ryan Walters will be involved with those practices, but maybe not from a coaching perspective. He needs to know what he has available, and to some degree he does. I believe, um, I don't know if the timing's right, but I think they may have played, Missouri may have played Purdue yeah. uh, when he was there. And then obviously last year he saw Purdue's offense be the, the one team that seemed like it could bite up Illinois' defense. So uh, he's, he's a little bit familiar with what he has, but this is a chance to get to know those guys a little bit more, see how they uh, go through a practice, or you know, sometimes find out the guys that don't want to work hard, things like that when you're watching the practice. But I imagine he's going to let Brian Brom and Mark Hagan handle the, the, you know, the team going forward in terms of preparation for a bowl game. Uh, that's priority number one right now. And honestly, Ryan Walter's priority is probably go get recruits so that we have a football team next year uh, type situation. So um, I imagine that he's going to step back and let those guys do their jobs. Uh, they are committed to this game, obviously. Uh, a lot of people think it's weird that Brian Brown's still here. Um, maybe that's so, but I, I don't think it is very strange. You know, you want to have some continuity. You don't just want to, you know, go into a bowl game completely scrapping what you've been for an entire season. So uh, it's going to be interesting for sure, and I'm sure there's still some names. Uh, you know, there are a few who have been thrown out there that are, aren't going to play in this bowl game, but um, it's going to be a situation where you don't know what, what the teams are going to have. Uh, LSU also going into this bowl game, and uh, you got to find out, you know, Who's going to be the Brock Thompson, you know, of last year's Music City Bowl, where it's a guy he's completely forgot it was on the roster or, or haven't heard of yet, and, and they blow up and have a big game. So, yeah. you know, having guys here that know what is on that depth chart beyond, you know, the Charlie Jones and Payne Durham and Aiden O'Connell's uh, is key, and I think that's uh, that's why Brian Brown is still here. You cover Matt Painter's number one uh, Purdue Boilermaker basketball team as well. I would imagine with how busy you are, you're, you're glad that it's finals week and there will be a couple of days here until Purdue gets going again. Yeah, well, this is, uh, you know, so Mike Carmen steps down. The next day I walk into a 10 a.m. press conference for <laughs> uh, supposedly the uh, upcoming bowl game with Jeff Brum and Mike Lubinsky, and it's reported that uh, Satterfield had left for Cincinnati. So yeah. my first introduction, and the week leading up to that, I had, uh, actually been talking to my boss about Purdue basketball coverage, and she said, well, at least they're not a top-five team or the number-one team like they were last year. And two weeks later, the number-one <laughs> so, uh, you know, This yeah. all kind of flips on the head pretty quickly. Um, it is, you know, this this um, event in Indianapolis always winds up with finals week. Um, it is an exciting matchup because, first of all, Davidson's a good team. Davidson's best player is Foster Lawyer, who's yeah. Is Purdue's, uh, you know, suddenly sensational freshman guard uh, Fletcher Lawyer. I don't imagine. I have a, a hopeful interview lined up with Foster Lawyer later this week. I don't think they've probably, because of their age difference, ever had a, a competitive game against each other with real referees. Besides maybe Dad in the driveway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. I know a lot of people remember what happened the last time Purdue went to Indianapolis and played Davidson, um, and Steph Curry got got locked down by Keaton Grant and, and Chris Kramer. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's no correlation between that other than people probably expect Purdue to go there and win this game and, and get out of there and then uh, go into the next week where you should win those games before the calendar flips to January, uh, which means that Purdue probably remains number one for 
at least a few weeks this time, which was not the case a year ago. Um, but the most important thing is Purdue's winning, uh, probably won a game that a lot of people felt like it didn't deserve uh, in Lincoln on Saturday. Um, but you have to win those kinds of games. Uh, that's the sign of tough teams that can go on the road in the Big Ten where the opposing coach knows everything there is to know about you. Uh, I thought did an excellent job uh, defending Zach Eady and denying the ball getting into the post, um, and other guys had to step up. Yeah. I didn't know that a, a six-foot freshman guard was going to dunk over their post, but uh, <laughs> those things happen. And, you know, the, the play at the end with uh, Braden Smith, you know, did he get fouled? Did he not? Probably not, but still he had the, uh, you know, the pressure pack situation and went there and knocked down two key free throws to, uh, to end that game. Yeah. Rutgers does loom on January 2nd. We'll see if Purdue's still number one when they face uh, the Scarlet Knights. This one, though, will be in Mackey Arena, not over there in Jersey Mike's. Hey, Sam, appreciate the time. As always, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Kyle. That's Sam King, a Purdue beat writer for the Journal and Courier, joining us on the Blue Fox Heating and Cooling Hotline. Let's take a break. We'll come back with much more. This is the Hammer Down Show, 1017 The Hammer, 1017